say enough is enough. Enough is enough. You know, I was really, really looking forward to beginning this year partnering our church with Destiny Rescue. Destiny Rescue, maybe you've never heard of this organization, but Destiny Rescue um, is an organization that is working to eradicate sex slavery and sex trafficking in our world. They're positioned all throughout, um, all throughout the world. They're positioned at borders. They're present in brothels, um, literally all over the world, and they're rescuing um, those young kids, young children that are caught uh, in human trafficking. How many know that's a, that's a, it's a hot topic issue in our world today? It's br been brought to light this past year, even more so. And I really felt like our church, we, we, we should do something about this. We can't just stand by silently and not do anything about that. And so this year, um, to kind of uh, to, to, to diversify our missions uh, giving, we, as you know, we're, our missions budget uh, spends a lot of finances into to Ghana, into Africa. Uh, we spend finances into Mexico, into the, into the Middle East. But we wanted to add to that this year and partner together with Destiny Rescue. And I'm really looking forward to that because Destiny Rescue doesn't just rescue children uh, that are being trafficked, but they also work with those children uh, to, to, um, uh, to get them back into society. Most of the time, uh, someone that's trafficked is usually sold by their family. And so they need to be rehabilitated. Not only should they be rescued, but we've got to rehabilitate them so they can enjoy a, a, a full and prosperous life. And so we wanted to be a part of that. And so uh, we've, we've talked to all of our campus pastors and campus leaders in Albuquerque, also at our North Campus in Whittier. And we've come together. We've decided that we are going to take this on this year, and we're going to rescue. How many know our, our, our mission is for each one reach one? And so we have a responsibility, and obviously that's right here locally. We can reach our, our coworkers and friends and family. That's our mission. But, but I think we need to reach those that are being trafficked, the ones that don't have a voice. And so this year, we've taken it on uh, for our congregation. We're going to rescue young people uh, that have been caught in, in, in human, traf human trafficking. Uh, they, we, we talked to them about finances. What does that look like? And they said that it, take, it costs about $1,500 per child for, for a rescue and a rehabilitation. And so we, we really feel like we can, we can rescue several kids this year, 2022. And so we're, we're gonna start that even now. So your mission's giving, not only are we reaching out into Africa and Egypt and Mexico and all throughout the world as needs arise, but we're also taking it upon ourselves this year, we're gonna partner with Destiny Rescue and see some people set free. Come on, somebody, give the Lord some praise for that. I'm excited. And so today, Last week was the week that all of America called out sick, and we felt that here in the, in the, in the, in, in the church, because many of you weren't here last, year, last week, either you were sick or out of town or whatever, so we did delay our missions offering to today because I really wanted everyone to, to hear about Destiny Rescue. Uh, so we give to missions once a month. This is Mission Sunday. Usually that takes place on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, but behind your chairs, there are offering envelopes. You can use those offering envelopes to give with cash or check and just drop right in the, the, the giving box on your way out. Just drop your gift right there. Or you can use uh, the electronic uh, services that we offer. You can scan and, and uh, you can scan to give. It populates a, uh, a giving method for you. Or you can go right through our Elevate Ministries app and give right there. We appreciate every person that gives. I know some of you brought your tithe and your offering today. We, we thank you for it. We thank you that you're faithful in your giving. That's what allows the church to do what the church is called to do. Amen. It's people like you that say, you know what? I'm going to do what's right with my finances because God told me to. Not because I'm getting anything, anything back, uh, but because God told me to, and that's what's right. And so I'm going to do that. And guess what? When you do what's right, God blesses you anyways. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's get into it this morning. We're going to release our children uh, to their Sunday school classrooms today. And uh, I'm going to jump right into this message. I know last week many of you weren't here. Hopefully you were tracking with us online a little bit because we, we began a brand new theme and we've, we've entitled that theme, Push. Somebody say push. Maybe push your neighbor. I, I wanted to do that last week, but you weren't here. So push your neighbor because push, what is a push? A push is, is when you exert force. And I really felt like this year, at the beginning of this year, what God wanted us to do was to have an aggressive theme. 
Uh, we're, we're not willing just to kind of stand around and just kind of wait any longer, but we're going to push forward from what God has for us, push into what Jesus is doing, push against the forces of evil in this world. And so I really, I'm really excited about this particular theme because we're going to launch a whole gamut of things that are going to be happening around this facility over the next several months. Last week, I, I opened this series, series with a, a sermon entitled, A Giant Push. And what we did is we looked at the, the giants that David and his mighty men had to defeat. So we know David took out Goliath. Goliath was one of four, one of five brothers. And so Goliath, his name means soothsayer. Soothsayer is a prophet of evil. He's, he's, he's a prophet, but not, not getting his word from God. He's getting a, it's a demonic spirit. It's a medium that's allowing him to prophesy. And we're seeing that in our world today. There's, there's plenty of soothsaying going on where you have the spirit of this world trying to put a new script over our lives other than scripture. And we're going to take down the soothsayer. We're not going to listen to that lie any longer. Somebody say amen. The second giant was, was the brother of Goliath, a guy by the name of Lachmi. Lachmi comes from the word, word lehem, which we know comes, we get the word bread from. So Bethlehem means house of bread. Lachmi is, comes from that root word, and, and it actually means, Lachmi means keeper of the bread. And that's what Satan wants to do. He's a devourer. He wants to take what God has meant for you and take it for himself. But how many know each and every one of us, we're entitled to bread. God, Jesus is the bread of life. He says, don't withhold bread from, from little children. You are entitled to bread. Satan wants to take it from you. We're not letting him stop our flourishing this year. We're not going to allow him to stop our blessing this year. We're going we're to take down Lachmi. The third brother was a guy by the name of Sippai. His name means the terminator in the doorway. And we talked last week that, that our life is meant to be lived on levels. That when we give our hearts to the Lord, we come in at one level, but that's not where we're supposed to stay. We shouldn't be in 2022 the same as we were in 2019, all right? We should be taking steps forward. Life is lived on levels. The problem is, is you got Sippai in the doorway. He's the terminator trying to keep you down, all right? God's calling you up to a higher level. Sippai's trying to keep you down. We're taking down Sippai, and we're going to go forward and get what God has for us in our lives. Somebody, if you believe that, say amen. Uh, Goliath's fourth brother is a guy by the name of Ishbi Banab. Ishbi Banab means occupier of the priestly places. And this is that demon that wants to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. Some of you have been given gifts and talents. You've been anointed by God to carry out certain things in this world. And, and Ishbi Banab wants to tell you that you can't do that. I'm here today to tell you, you can do all things through Christ. You can step into what God has for you. You can occupy the priestly places. And you're like, no, that's for the pastor and the missionaries. I'm going to let evangelists do all that stuff. No, no, God's called you to the priestly places. It's time for you to step into that anointing that God has for you. Amen. The last brother was a guy that's unnamed. All we know about him is he had six fingers and six, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. We know that the, the number six is the number of man. So when we talk about 666, that's, a, that's the number of man, the number of the beast, all right? But six plus six is 12. And so he's got six hands, six, excuse me, six hands, six <laughs> fingers on each hand. So he has 12 fingers. He has six toes on each foot. He has 12 toes. Six is the number of man. 12 is the number of government. And so one of the giants we have to take down, and it's, it's put its ugly head up over the last couple of years, we gotta take down human government. We're not going to get pushed around by a government that tells us that we can't worship God and we can't sing and we can't do what God's called us to do. We're taking down that giant. Is anybody with me? We're taking down that giant. We're not playing with that anymore. Serve notice to that giant. All right. And so this, this morning, I want to get into this message because I believe God wants us to push in. Not only are we pushing against these giants and taking them down, but I think it's important for the church to push in. And, I, and, and honestly, right now, I believe it's, there's never been uh, um, a, a more important time for the church to find its prophetic voice. All right? We need, we need the church to be everything that God created the church to be. The world is waiting with earnest expectation for the church to act like the church. So we're living in a profound season. I think we, we would know that. We start to look around. None of us have experienced things like we've been experiencing over the last little while. And I think it's probably more profound than even you and I realize. And oftentimes, it's seasons like this that significant events take place. Now, you don't even notice it happening, but you look back over time and you recognize, man, 
That was God doing something. He was, he was working in that time. And I believe right now we're in one of those open heaven moments. It's those moments where we can hear from God. It's a moment that we all can recognize. There's been a rise of evil. We talked about that on Wednesday night. There's been a rise of evil. And listen, you don't just see that happening in this generation. It's something that's happened in every generation. Evil has been around for a long time. Like since the fall of man. We, we see the rise of evil. But here's the thing we also see. We also see the response of the saints. So yes, there is the, 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 the rise of evil. But there's also the response of the saints. And so what I believe what God wants to do right now for us is he wants to help us provide language for what we're experiencing. He wants to give us a prophetic voice. And I believe the way that we get that prophetic voice is through scripture. Because God's word gives us language. God's word's important to you. It gives us language for what we're experiencing. Scripture gives us ideas of what to pray for. Scripture is, it helps us broaden our perspective of what God wants to do in this hour. It's never been more important, and I, don't, I, I harp on this all the time, it's never been more important than right now to get God's word inside of you. And that's why we have a Bible reading plan at this church. And last week, if you texted that number, you texted the wrong number. We gave you the wrong number. And so if you want to join in with our annual Bible reading plan that we as a church go through, read the Bible all the way through in the year, you can text BIBLE to 714-823, not 832, 823-9727, and you'll get a link uh, right into the Bible reading plan. Uh, you will have to have an account with you version, but you can pick up that plan, read along with us every single day, and allow God to speak into your life, all right? So, so in saying that, I want, I want you to get back on with me. I believe what God wants us to, to do is not only know what his word says, but also not be oblivious of what's going on, all right? We've got to push into what God is saying. We've got to understand his mind, but at the same time, God is speaking, God is drawing close, but we also need to be aware of what's happening all around us, in our communities, in, in our world. The Bible talks about uh, people that had this type of understanding, and you can see it in 1 Chronicles 12. The Bible describes the, these men called the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what they ought to do. And this is what I'm talking about, this prophetic edge that I believe God wants to give our church, is that not only do we know what God's word says, but we also examine what's going on around. We understand the times. We understand what's happening. And so now we're going to push into a God that draws close. And then we're going to look to the future with understanding. Like the sons of Issachar knew what to do. I believe God wants to give us understanding so we can know what to do in this hour. So we can experience the revival that he has for us at this time. Can somebody shout amen? Now today this message is entitled push in, and, and I want to subtitle that burning hearts, burning hearts. And we're going to be in a text in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up there. If you have a, an actual Bible, open it up on your lap. If you have an electrical Bible, you, you know, your phone, why don't you do the same? Open up to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be there the whole time, and I'd love for you to be able to see these things. Luke chapter 24 is a story we're going to read beginning in, in verse 13. And basically what's happening in this story is Luke is... He's doing the play-by-play -play of the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. And so he's telling the story about everything that happened on Resurrection Sunday, which, by the way, is the reason we gather on Sunday. It's important to gather on Sunday because Jesus rose on Sunday. Every time we come together on a Sunday, we're celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead, all right? So it's important we come to the house of the Lord on Sunday. Somebody shout, shout amen. Sunday is the celebration of the risen Savior. So now everything that happened on that day is important for us to know about. It's important for us to think about. And so you've got these two disciples, and the Bible says that they're walking along the road, and they're, moved, they're going towards Emmaus. And these two guys are basically two no-name, faceless disciples, all right? They're, they're nobody that you would recognize. Their name is not, they're, they're kind of the second-level disciples of Jesus. And so we pick up the story in verse 13, that, that behold, two of them, we're traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things that had happened. So while they, were, while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went along with them. 
but their eyes were restrained and they did not recognize him. And so he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have one another, have with one another as you walk and are sad? So let me try and set the context for you. So Jesus has risen from the dead. He's no longer in the grave, but the disciples are distraught. They're disappointed. They're confused, all right? So you got these two guys. They're walking along. They're downcast. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. And they have no idea that Jesus has risen from the dead, which is curious because God's not hiding it. He's not trying to hide it. He, he, he actually, uh, if you read just a little bit earlier in this chapter, you'll, you'll read that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, had been to the tomb. They, when, they, when they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Jesus wasn't there. Instead, an angel was standing there. And, and, and they describe the scene in, in, in verse 5. The angel speaks to Mary, the two Marys, and says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And so these ladies take this information, and the Bible tells us they ran back to the disciples, including these guys. And in verse 11, it says that their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So you've got these two disciples. Why don't you try to imagine this with me? They're walking to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, away from where they had their encounter with Jesus, away from their calling, away from their destiny. And they're walking away from it, and the whole time, Jesus is walking with them. But the Bible says in verse 16, their eyes are restrained. They can't recognize him. They, they, don't, they don't know it's him. And, uh, and, and so I think what we can draw from this text is this, is this fact, is that their ability to see, their ability to have vision was restricted because of their unbelief. They didn't believe, they just left the tomb. They just heard the testimony, but they could not believe. They were so disappointed, grab this, they were so discouraged that it was hard for them to see Christ, it was hard for them to believe God. So now they'd lost vision, all right? They've given up, they're walking away, they're disappointed. They're not the only ones that have gone through stuff like this. The Bible tells us there's, there's several guys. King David went through a similar time where he was disappointed and frustrated and full of grief. And in Psalm 6, it says, David writes, he says, my vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of my enemies. And so what this is teaching us is that if it happened to them, it can happen to us. All right? Where well, there's, there's something that we're all going to deal with, we're all going to battle with. We're going to go through times of discouragement. We're going to go through disappointment where our expectations aren't met. The things that we were believing God for don't actually happen the way we expected them to. And here's the thing that we got to grab a hold of. Until you deal with disappointments of all of those unmet expectations, you won't be able to see clearly of what is actually true. So every lie that you've ever believed about God, every lie that you ever, you've ever believed about yourself, it has to be taken captive in order for you to see clearly in the next season. Can I hear somebody today? We need vision. We need vision. I'm looking for somebody to say amen. You need vision. You need vision for you. You need vision for your family. We need vision for this community. You need vision because the Bible says without it, you perish. We perish. We all need vision. Here's the thing. We all need vision, but we've all been disappointed. And so if disappointment affects our vision, what in the world do we do about it? And so I believe what God spoke to me is that we have to disciple our disappointment. I want you to think about that while I grab a drink. Disciple your disappointment. Here's, here's what, you, what you need to see. Is that the longer that you walk with God, the more you'll need to, to disciple your disappointment the more you'll need to disciple your disappointment. All of us have things in our life that we've prayed for, that we've believed God for, that we thought would happen, and, and they, didn't, they didn't happen the way we expected them to. And so unless you park that disappointment at the foot of the cross, your story will sound like this. I didn't deal with my disappointment, so my disappointment dealt with me. Has anybody ever seen someone like that? 
If I don't deal with my disappointment, my disappointment is gonna deal with me. So here's Jesus. He shows up on the road with these two disciples and says, hey guys, where, where are you going? He already knew. How many know Jesus knows everything? He says, he says, where are you walking? He already knew. He says, why are you sad? And he already knew. He's asking questions, which I want you to see. He's asking questions he already knew the answers to because he was trying to help these disciples with what was going on inside of their heart. They're disappointed. They're discouraged. They're frustrated. The Bible says they were hoping. And what they were hoping for didn't happen. All of us will experience this. Things that we were hoping for, praying for, believing for, what I was hoping for, praying for, believing for, it didn't happen the way I, sh I thought it should. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the more these things pile up. The more these things kind of pile on, the more you have to crucify your disappointments, place them at the feet of the cross. Because if you allow your disappointment to drive your life, you're headed for destruction. That's just the bottom line. And so what culture has done is it's tried to, it's tried to place a high emphasis on self-diagnosis and self-identity. And so we get disappointed, and so then we begin to diagnose ourselves. And we start saying, well, things like, you know, well, I'm, I'm just depressed, or I'm suffering from anxiety, or I identify as fill in the blank. A bunch of people are running around this world and, and in the church diagnosing their feelings, diagnosing their motives, diagnosing their identity. And here's the thing. If you're saved, if your life has been changed, you don't get to do that. You have to recognize your life is not your own to diagnose. The Bible says that you have been bought with a price. You gave up, you gave up your right to label yourself as sick. You're not allowed to label yourself as depressed or without hope. You gave up your right to choose some sort of, of alternative identity because you belong to Jesus and not to culture. And so here's the problem is you can't see truth clearly when you're dealing with disappointment. And so what do we have to do? The Bible says deferred hope makes the heart sick. Deferred hope or disappointment causes you to believe what is evidently not true. And so you've got to disciple your disappointment. How do we do this? How do we do this? I think Jesus shows us how in this story. I wanna break it down with you today, is that okay? All right, so the first thing that I see is that the Bible says that as they're walking along the road and as they're talking about Jesus, Jesus shows up. So they're, they're sitting there talking about Jesus and then Jesus invited himself into their conversation. They, weren't, they didn't realize it, but that's what happened. And so that tells us that if we want his presence, we gotta tell his story. You gotta tell his story. The first thing that you do when you're, when, you're, when you're disappointed, disillusioned, confused, the first thing that you do is begin to talk about Jesus. This is what we do in worship. Thinking about it today, when, our, when, our, when, when Bryn and the team, and they get up here and just every week just lead us in worship. Aren't you grateful for, for a team that just pushes through into worship? But, but they're leading us into a time of talking to Jesus about Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're singing songs to Jesus about Jesus. And the reason we're doing it is not because he forgets. He knows who he is. He doesn't need any help. The reason we're singing songs about Jesus to Jesus is not because he forgets, it's because we do. So it's easy to believe, right? It's easy to believe in healing when you're feeling good, right? It's easy to believe in provision when you already got the raise, you already got the bonus. It's easy to believe in deliverance when there's no chains on you. You know what I'm talking about? It's a little bit harder to believe when your current circumstance doesn't match your current reality. And so what we need to do with that disappointment is invite his presence into your circumstance by telling his story. The disciples are on the road and they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. I sense this in worship. I sense this in worship all the time. We'll, we'll be singing, and we know God is here. All right, we know he's here. Wherever two or more gathered together in his name, there he is. So we know he's here. But come on, have you ever been in a worship service where all of a sudden that certain chorus hits or maybe a certain rhythm just begins to take off and all of a sudden you can almost feel heaven just rush into the building. Has anybody ever experienced that before? You can feel it happen. Like a shift begins to take place in the room. I've been in prayer meetings 
And by the way, we, we, we revamped our prayer meeting. We're meeting here on Saturdays at 8 a.m. We had our first prayer meeting of, of 2022 right here in this building. It was amazing. It was so good. And I'm looking forward to continuing that. But I, I've, been in, I've been sitting there in a, in a prayer meeting, and we'll get together, and, and you know, we'll begin to lead out in prayer, and different ones will begin to pray. And then all of a sudden, someone gets up and begins to pray, and you can just feel the anointing of God. You can feel all of heaven just begin to show up in the, in the building. I sensed it in the car this week. I was listening to a song that says, it's called Too Good to Not Believe. Too Good to Not Believe. It says, it, this is the lyrics. And I, I began to sing this in my car and listen to these words in my car and I could feel the presence of God. It says, you're a wonder working God. You're a wonder working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good to not believe. I've seen families reunite, reunited. I've seen prodigals return. Yes, I know that he can do it. Yes, I know that he can do it. I've seen troubled souls delivered. I've seen addicts finally free. Yes, I know that he can do it. Yes, I know that he can do it. We'll see cities in revival. Salvation for the streets. Yes, I know that he can do it. Yes, I know that he can do it. We'll see, we'll see glory fill the nations like the world has never seen. Yes, I know that he can do it. It. Yes, I, and I began to listen to this song in my car, and I began to feel the presence of God just right there on the 55 freeway. Come down in my car. The quickest way to invoke his presence is to tell his story. Somebody say amen. All right, so these guys, all right, they're just going along. They're just going along, talking about Jesus, and Jesus shows up. And I want to read a little chunk of this story. And so Jesus said to them, he said, what kind of conversation is this? that you have with one another as you walk and are sad. Verse 18. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to Jesus, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened in these past days? And he said, and Jesus said to them, what things? And they said, the things concerning Jesus, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was gonna redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early this morning and astonished us. What they did not, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just the way the woman had said, but him they did not see. Now, I want, I want you to notice something in this little chunk, is that in verse 17, the disciples are dealing with sorrow. The Bible says, Jesus asked them, what kind of conversation are you having and that you're sad? So, so in verse 17, they're sad. In verse 21, they're, they're dealing with disappointment. Because the Bible says they said, we were hoping. So what we were hoping for didn't happen. In verse 22, now they're, they're, they're confused and bewildered. The, the Bible says that they were astonished by what the, the women had said. And so they're dealing with all of these feelings. All of us go through this stuff. Are you with me? There, we all go through sorrow and disappointment and bewilderment and confusion. We all deal with this. Here's the thing you need to realize, that Jesus isn't afraid of what you're walking through because he knows where, where you're walking to. He's not afraid of walking through sadness and disappointment and confusion because he knows you're going somewhere. Which brings us to point number two, don't quit. I hope you're on the edge of your seat today. This is, this is, this is, this is gonna help you so much, especially in this year. Don't quit. This is what's going on. Don't quit on your journey. We all have a journey. We all go through hard times. We all enter valleys sometimes. You have a savior that we can see in this story. You have a savior that's willing to walk with you and work it out for your good. Romans 8.28 says that he makes all things work together for your good, which tells me that if your story isn't good, it's not over. Oh. Why? Because God's working it out. He's willing to walk with you through it. So often we, get, we give into the temptation just to kind of stay stuck in the valley, not knowing that the breakthrough or the mountaintop that we're looking for is right around the corner. Don't give up, somebody. Don't give up on your journey. Don't get stuck in disappointment. 
Psalm 23, you guys know the, you know the scripture. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It does not say, yea, though I camp in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say that. Did you guys know that? It doesn't say, yea, though I stop and build a house in the valley of the shadow. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, yea, though I spend seven years in the valley of the shadow. It doesn't say that. He says, I walk through the valley. Why would a God as good as our God, a God as good as the one that we worship, lead us through the valley of the shadow of death? I'll tell you why. Because there are some things in your life that can never be developed until you stay faithful in the middle of a shadow. Don't quit, somebody. Don't quit. So we're going to tell his story. We're, we're, we're not going to quit. And then the third thing that I see is believe it, and then you'll see it. Believe it, and then you'll see it. Look, look at our text, verse 21. The disciples said to Jesus, they said, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that Jesus would save Israel, but we didn't get to see it. This is where their disappointment is. We were hoping he would do this, but we didn't get to see that. Here's the truth. Jesus was always going to redeem Israel. It's just that the disciples were thinking too small. Because not only was he going to redeem Israel, he was going to redeem all of mankind. All right? That was the process being, going, going, happening right then. And so the disciples said, you know, we went to the tomb and we saw it, but we didn't believe it. The women invited us to the tomb. We saw it, but we didn't believe it. No wonder they're disappointed. You know why they're disappointed? The reason they're disappointed is because they're trying to apply a cultural approach to a kingdom reality. The mantra of culture is this. I'll believe it when I see it. Isn't that what culture says? I'll believe it when, when I see it. But that's the opposite to the way the kingdom works. The kingdom work, works like this. I'll believe it and then I will see it. We believe and then we see. When you believe God for miracles, you will see miracles. When you believe God for provision, you will see provision. When you believe God for redemption and restoration and revival, you will see redemption, re restoration, and revival. First we believe somebody, and then we see. John 7 says, he who believed in me will see rivers of living water flowing inside of him. Culture says, I'll believe it when I see it. The kingdom says, first we believe, and then we receive. It's flipped. It's flipped, that's why the world freaks out on us. That's why the world is so, it's, it's so upside down to the way this culture and this kingdom works, the kingdom of this world. It's foolishness to everyone out there. They don't get it, but isn't that how all the scripture is? I mean, it's all like that. If you wanna find your life, lose it, right? If you wanna be first, you have to be last, all right? If you wanna be rich, you gotta be, are you, are you guys alive today, huh? <laughs> Come on, if you wanna be rich, first you gotta be, you're like, I don't wanna be poor. I don't wanna even say that. Huh? Okay, let me give you this one. If you wanna lead, then you have to follow. So, so the scripture flips all of the things that we believe to be true in order to show us what is actually true. All right? And so, so the way that I see the things that God has come to fruition in my own life is the way that I've been able to experience it is I believe it and then I see it. It doesn't matter whether it's sickness in your family, financial issues that you're having. If you will believe God, you will see him work it out. It happens every single time. In verse 25, Jesus says to, to, to these guys on the road, he says, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. The word foolish there, I looked it up, it means stupid. <laughs> All right, so if you wanna really know what Jesus was saying there. He's saying, you guys are stupid. You're, you're, you're dumb, all right? He's saying you're dumb, which, which tells me never underestimate the power of dumb people in large groups, all right? Which is the church, pretty much, all right? Verse 26, Jesus says, ought, ought not the Christ to have come and suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all of the scriptures, everything about himself. And then the Bible says, they drew near to the village where they were going and he said, I'm gonna keep going, but they constrained him. 
This is where, I, where push comes in. The Bible says they constrained him. Another, another um, translation says that they forcefully pleaded with him. In other words, you may think you're going on, but we're not letting you go further, all right? They said, they grabbed Jesus and they said, abide with us. Abide with us. And the Bible says that Jesus went in to stay with them. So what we've seen Jesus do is two things. First, he draws near, then he abides. First, Jesus draws near, then he abides. Here's the problem. Some people are satisfied with just Jesus being near. Like just kind of being around the things of God, showing up to church and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I guess that's fine. I mean, if that's what you want to do, you just want to show up. I'm not interested in just experiencing Jesus drawn near. I want Jesus to abide. I want, I want him to move in. We need a God who abides with his people. And here's the thing that you need to see. What is the key to, those, to Jesus abiding with those disciples? How, how did it happen? Why did Jesus stay? I'll tell you why. Because they provided an invitation, which is the fourth thing you need to understand. Provide an invitation. All these disciples had to do was say three words. Abide with us. And Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus said, that's the type of invitation I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who will say, Jesus, stick around. Go with me to my job. Go with me to my home. Lord, be with me everywhere I go. Listen, all the disciples said was, abide with us. If it worked for the disciples back then, it'll work for us right now. It's the invitation that says, God, I'm not satisfied with just showing up to church on Sunday. I'm not satisfied with just you being near or walking by. I want Jesus, you to move in to every area, every nook and cranny of my life. Somebody shout amen. There's a reason that God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's not because heaven is like Costco. Where you walk around, try all the little things, and never buy any of it. Right? Anybody ever tried something at Costco and go, oh, I gotta have it? N not me. I'm just looking for the next bite. That's all I want, all right? But that's not the way heaven works. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because God knows, once you taste and see, you're going to pull up a chair and say, come on, i got to get more of that. i got to have more of that. And so the disciples, they go from, are you the only guy that has no idea what's going around, to, please, don't leave. Abide with us. There's something about your presence. Verse 30. The Bible says, and now it came to pass that Jesus sat with them. And he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it, which is a whole sermon I preached. I love that sermon, by the way. Look it up. It's a good one. Verse 31. <laughs> then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, I want you to just grab a hold of this. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? What were the disciples saying? They were saying, our hearts burned because he walked with us. Our hearts burned because he talked with us. Our hearts burned because he opened the scriptures to us. Here's what happens when you spend time with Jesus. He sets your heart on fire. The, 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 the end result of being with Jesus is a burning heart. God uses burning hearts to set the world on fire. So the reason that God's presence, the reason he wants to show himself, the reason he wants to be with us is because he wants to set your heart on fire. And the reason he wants to set your heart on fire is because he wants your life to never be the same and everyone around you be affected by your burning heart. That's what we're going after here at Elevate Ministries. This is what we want. We don't want our church to be the place that you check off your spiritual box that you went to church, where you, you, you're, you're, you're happy that you came, you're happy you attended, but leave without your heart being moved. We don't want that here. We don't want that here. How, how do we leave with burning hearts? I think God showed me with these two words, remain delicate. Allow what... Allow what moved your heart continue to move your heart. Because when your heart is moved, his heart moves. So David says in Psalm 37, and this is where I got this from. David says, delight in the Lord, okay? The word delight in that context means remain delicate. 
So when the presence of God comes into your heart, and you're, when the presence of God is available, and it no longer moves you, it's not a problem with the worship team, it's a problem with you. I'm gonna say that again, okay? When, when you come into the house of the Lord, and you see people all around you worshiping, and lifting their hands, and singing, and shouting for joy, and you're not moved, it's not a problem with the church. It's not a problem with the worship team, it's not a problem with your location. It's a problem with you. Something going on in here. Don't get mad at the preacher. Right, we have to stay delicate. This is, this is something we have to do. We have to stay delicate. But we, what happens is we get into these, these modes where like, I've, I've, heard, I've heard Adam preach before. I've heard Pastor Carl preach before. You know, I heard this song before. Uh, I, I've been to the altar before. I've been prayed over before. I've seen someone get baptized before. And all of these things that at one point when you saw it, it just jacked you up. It just, it just moved you. Now all of a sudden, it doesn't really move you anymore. And maybe you're thinking, why? I have to discipline my heart so it remains in a place where those things continue to make my heart move. I stay delicate. Because what can happen is, is we just get casual. We just get rough with the presence of God. We kind of treat it like it's really no big deal, like it's ordinary. And then we blame God for the lack of results in our life. But if we would just stay delicate in his presence, guess what happens? The outward response would be God setting your heart on fire, not just occasionally, but when we're delicate before the Lord, his, our hearts will burn consistently as a lifestyle. Now for me, I've served the Lord for 30, 30 years. I've been serving God, a little bit over. And I've seen incredible things. I can think back, I mean, the things that God's allowed me to be a part of and see with my own two eyes have literally been astonishing. Things that have happened here, in the United States, and literally things around the world that God's allowed me to travel and to see. I've preached in big churches. I've preached in very small churches. I, I, I've, I've ministered in large venues. I've spoken in living rooms, all right? I've seen God do incredible things over the course of 30 years, but by far, what matters to me more than any of those experiences is protecting a heart and keeping it on fire for God because it's not easy to do. Jeremiah 20 Jeremiah is describing what's going on inside of him. He says this, he said, his word is in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I can't hold it back. This is what God wants to do for you. This is what I've been able to experience in, in, in my life. This is what God wants for you, burning hearts, but we have, to, we have to remain delicate. Now, if we're able to do those things, if we tell his story and don't quit, believe it before we see it, provide an invitation and remain delicate, I think we will see exactly what happened with these disciples happen with us. So let's find out what happened to them. Verse, verse 33. So Jesus has disappeared. He's, he's, he, he, he's, he's broken the bread. Now they know who he is. Cat's out of the bag. Jesus says, peace out and leaves. So now they're sitting there and the Bible says in verse 33 that immediately they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And then they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together and said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told us about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace be to you, all right? And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't give them an evacuation plan. He doesn't get them out of the trouble. He says, I'm just gonna give you peace in the middle of it. But that's, that, that's entirely not part of this message, all right? But what I see happen here is this, is that these two disciples who were disappointed, walking away from the things of God, walking away from their destiny, walking away from their anointing, they have walked seven miles. Seven miles, all right? Some of you are worn out if you drive seven miles, okay? These guys have walked in one day, seven miles, away from their calling, away from their destiny, away from where God has them. They've basically given up hope, all right, they, they've, they've basically given up on their calling, they've given up on their dream, but Jesus, as we, as we talked about today, he meets them in their disappointment, all right? He turns their hearts on fire, and they're so transformed that after breaking bread, they get up from the table and they walk seven miles back. I don't know if you, how math works with you, but seven plus seven is 14 miles, guys. These guys walked 
18 miles because they knew where they needed to be. Jesus discipled their disappointment and rerouted them back to where they needed to be. And, and before long, all of a sudden, they end up in the place that Jesus had said, here's my body broken for you. Here's my blood poured out for you. And they get there, and guess what? All the disciples are there, which tells me Jesus probably had these same type of interactions with all of them, we just don't see it. They all just kind of show up there. They knew where they were supposed to be. Are you with me today? They get rerouted back to the place where the Passover happened and to the place that God is about to pour out revival like no one's ever witnessed before at Pentecost. Here's the thing, burning hearts are not just the result of Pentecost. Burning hearts, are, excuse me, Pentecost is the result of burning hearts. Burning hearts reroute you back to the place where God can touch your life again. And this is not just for the disciples back then, but this is also for us today. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Adam? Well, God's speaking in Revelation. In, in chapter two, he's talking to the end time church. He's talking to us in Revelations chapter two. And he says to the church, he says, I know your works, they're impressive. Like you've done some good things. God says, I know that you're patient and you don't tolerate evil. He thumbs up them on that. He says, I know that you have discernment, that you can tell the authentic from the fake. You get it. He says, he says I want to congratulate you because you persevered for my name's sake. But then God speaks to the end time church, us, and he says this, but I've got one thing against you. You left your first love. What was God saying? He was saying, you got off track. You're seven miles in the wrong direction. This is what God's saying. He's saying you got disappointed. Things didn't turn out like, like you thought. You're seven miles from where you need to be. But I love that God doesn't leave us there, out in who knows where, seven miles out. He, he doesn't leave us out there in desolation to fend for ourselves. But he gives us the key. He says, remember where you fell, repent, and go back to what you did at first. God, God's inviting us in this text. He's inviting us to push into something. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus was willing to walk seven miles in the wrong direction with his disciples just so that he could lead them back to where they needed to be. Just so that their hearts could burn once again. A burning heart will always reroute back to the place of transformation. And that's why we've got to continue to tell his story. We've got to make the decision not to quit. We have to believe it and know that when we believe it, we'll see it. We have to provide an invitation and keep asking God. We, we got to keep providing that invitation, abide with us, and we got to remain delicate and allow those things that have moved our hearts in the past to continue to move our hearts today. And if we'll do those things, I'm convinced. That's how we disciple our disappointment, and that's how we get to the place where God can move on our lives, blow on our lives, fill our lives with his spirit once again. It's called pushing in. And when you push in, he'll give you a burning heart. Disappointment is something that we all go through. We just, 
if we, allow, if we don't deal with our disappointment, how I many you know our disappointment has a way of dealing with us? I really feel like God put this, this word, really it's for me. I just have a, I have a, I tend to believe that there's probably some people like me that you've been disappointed, maybe a little disillusioned, disconfused, not knowing what to do. show me, hey, these are the things out of you. You'll do these things. You'll be right where I need you to be. If the church will do these things, we'll, we'll be right where he needs us to be. Right right in the, in, the, in, the, in the center of his plan, his will, his destiny. Tell his story. Don't quit. Believe before you see. Ask God. Invite God and remain delicate back where he needs to be. Maybe one of these particular points just grabbed a hold of you this morning in this room and you say, you know what, I need, to, I need to fix that area of my life. There's an area of my life that you talked about this morning that I've got to get it right. If that's you all over this room, maybe you just lift your hand all over this place, all over this place. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Remain delicate right now. Remain delicate. Don't tone, don't, don't tune out. Come on, you say that's me. There's an area I need to, I need to, I need to work on right now all over this room. Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for those. If you raise your hand, stand your feet all over this place. Come on, if you raise your hand, stand up. Let's come down to the altar to get today. You say, well, I've been there before. Come on again. Come again. God wants to meet you here today. He wants to meet you in the altar. We can't ever get, get away from coming to the altar. God wants to touch his people. He wants to touch his people. He wants to put your heart on fire. He wants to cause your, your hearts to burn. Come on, get out of your chair. Get out of your chair. You say, well, I can pray right here. I know you can. But there's something about coming to the altar and saying, God, I need to meet you. I'm willing to take a walk. I'm, I'm willing to take a walk. In Jesus' name, God, right now, Lord, over your people, Lord, as we, as we come to this altar today, Lord, we pray that your presence, Lord, fill this, fill this, this altar right now, God. Fill this altar, Lord God. Lord, I know you desire to meet with your people. You'll walk seven miles in the wrong direction just to be with your disciples. So I know you're here today. I know you're here today, God. Meet with us, God. Lord, let your presence, lift your hands if you're here today. Come on, if you're in this altar, lift your hands and say, God, Lord, abide with me, God. Abide with me. God's looking for an invitation today. Abide with me, Jesus. Lord, meet with me, Jesus. Oh, God, I want to sing your story. Lord, I want to tell your story, God. I want to believe, and then I'll see, God. I trust you, Lord. Abide with me. I'm giving you the invitation, God. Lord, meet me here. Come on, say, meet me here, God. In Jesus.